Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and this is episode number 74, Pivoting Your Business with Aaron Morgan. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Filming with Josh podcast. If you are new to Filming with Josh, I want to thank you for joining in today. Filming with Josh is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. On this podcast, we talk about all things video from editing and storyboarding to script writing, lighting, sound design, you name it, we talk about it. We also have a Facebook group called Filming with Josh. Be sure to go to Facebook, type in Filming with Josh and ask to join the group today. The Filming with Josh Facebook group is a continuation of this podcast and is also a place to come and post questions, share your videos, ask for feedback and things of that nature. So be sure to go to Filming with Josh and ask to join the group today. Today, I am welcoming my friend Aaron Morgan of ICT Creative out of Wichita, Kansas. Aaron, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, man. Thanks for joining in. Uh, today, Aaron and I are going to we're gonna hop in and we're going to talk about uh, his background, what he does, and um, kind of the markets that he's in and some of the markets he's transitioning into. That's kind of be the, the theme of today's podcast. Um, but anyway, Aaron, I just want to welcome you, and I want you to just kind of tell everybody, tell me even uh, a little bit more about you and and what you do. Uh, so I own a production house, like you said, in, in Wichita, Kansas. I am a one of two. I have a business partner that also uh, we kind of split the roles, if that makes any sense. Um, but I have done primarily hunting, like outdoor industry content, for the past five years. Um, and I'm passionate about whitetails, so I decided to make it my job. That's awesome, man. I uh, I got into the hunting industry for the same reason. Like I loved I love deer hunting and I love waterfowl hunting, and the hunting industry just seemed like a natural fit for me. Right. If you can turn your passion into to a job, why not? Right. Hundred percent, man. So tell me a little bit about kind of what you've done in the hunting industry. Uh so I have worked with TV. Um, I have obviously when you work starting starting out, you always will um, you you pick up a few small companies that you work with and you do some odd and end jobs and then that you're like you do enough that you're like, oh man, I think I can actually make a go of this. And so start reaching out to more companies and more companies and then your name, you build your network, your name grows and you start talking with TV shows and do that, and then you get sucked into TV land for what feels like years. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I did a lot of, I did a lot of TV. Um, I filmed a lot of hunts for TV and I have, I have a handful of outdoor company clients that I do a lot of their branding work for them. So let's talk a little bit about how you kind of got started in that. So you said that you started reaching out to companies. Um, if anybody's listening to this podcast and is kind of interested in following a similar path, like, Let's chat about for them to kind of hear what, how you how you went about going in and, and reaching out to companies to get your foot in the door. Okay, yeah, I mean, I think that network is everything. Uh, if you if you can build relationships and have true friends in the industry, that's that's how you get work. And so I, you know, I reach out to a lot of people on social. Social is kind of the way we all talk nowadays, and it's not really phone calls and handshakes. It's it's Instagram messages and and whatever else. So I, uh, I just would reach out to people and, 
you know, let's a friend knows a friend of a friend who who will hook you up with no one, you know, oh, I know the marketing director for so-and-so company or whatever. And um, I don't know, a lot of it's just reaching out to people on, on socials, what I did, and making friends and not just making friends so that you can get work, but truly making friends and having relationships. Yeah, you know, I think that last point is huge. I have uh, definitely learned that you you can't reach out for people specifically. I mean, you can, but you really probably shouldn't be reaching out to people specifically looking for something. Um, if you build a relationship and see how you can help someone and just kind of develop a relationship to them and give and pour into them, then eventually they might pour into you. Right, right. And I mean, maybe they will, maybe they won't. But just maybe they be, will, maybe they won't. Just be a friend. And yeah. You're never going to go wrong having a lot of friends. No, I totally agree. How do you, so I want to get your thoughts on this. I've, I've had a, a conversation with a guy that's, he, he's been in the wedding industry for a long time, but he's wanting to switch more into commercial work, which is kind of what we're going to talk about some today. Right. But he, um, he thinks that he keeps asking me like how he can fast track it. Cause he thinks that you can, you can do it really quickly and like put together a real, do some Facebook advertising, Instagram advertising, and then he can book up really fast. And he's asking for a lot of advice for that. But I keep trying to tell him that in my opinion, I think it just takes a lot of time. There's no fast track because it is all relationships and relationships take time to build. Like, what are your thoughts on that? (laughs) Well, even before you said that, I was going to say, if he figures it out, tell him to write a book or something. Cause (laughs) to me, it's, it's always been a long game. You know, Mm -hmm. you, it's, you hear of people who have quick success, but you know, generally that quick success is just what, you know, it's the tip of the iceberg, right? There's a lot of work behind the scenes. And before you ever heard of that person, they've been building relationships and networking and talking to people and just also honing their craft and, and learning about themselves as well, right? Yeah, I, I completely agree. I do think like, obviously there are the rare cases. I know the town that I moved to, um, just under two years ago, there was no, was crazy, but there was nobody here doing video until some kid started doing it. And because when we have almost 100,000 people, and so he was able to have immediate success because there was nobody else in the town doing it. So I think there's like yeah. that rare circumstance. That helps. You know, that really <laughs> if you can helps. Be the, yeah, if you can be the first in a line of, 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 what, of creators or whatever in your, in your specific field, you're obviously going to have more success than yeah than someone who you know one of a hundred or one of a thousand or it, depending on how many people there are and how big of a market you're in. Yeah, I I do. I've been taking unfortunately for him. I've been taking a lot of his market in town, <laughs> but um, I do a lot of work in Austin and San Antonio, and that's obviously quite a bit different. I mean, there's like a right. thousand different production companies that are way bigger than me in those right. markets, and it takes a long time to to kind of break in. So you you did a little bit of networking, and then you got some opportunity to work for some outdoor TV shows. How long did you work in outdoor TV? Uh, three years. Three years. Three years. Okay. Yeah. 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 I, I did two to three myself. So about the same time. Yeah. It's, it's very time consuming and, um, I don't know. It's some people, it's what they love. It's, it's what they like. That's where their passion lies Mm -hmm. is building outdoor TV. And I can see why there's an allure to it for sure. You get to go some awesome places. You get to experience things that like I've been able to experience hunts and places that realistically I'll probably never be able to do it on my own. Right. Especially yeah. not at the caliber of what I got to go on because of budget. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is an allure to it. Um, but most I of think, us can't can't drop the cash for a doll sheep hunt in Alaska. Right. <laughs> if I ever can do that, then I'm doing all right. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that that's if you love it, you're going to love it. If you, if it's not something that's really what you want to do, it's definitely a a means to an end. So you got into outdoor TV. Tell me a little bit more about kind of, you don't have to name any names of shows, but tell me a little bit more about the style outdoor TV you did kind of what your approach was and, and what your experiences were. Okay. Um, the, the primary one I did, I don't have any problems. Uh, The primary, uh, show that I filmed for was Hunt masters and okay. Yeah. um, I know who they are. Yeah, so he, Greg is a big proponent. He wants to do a lot of skits, everything. He wants a produced look. He doesn't. He doesn't like the raw, you know, film and follow type videos. So there was a lot of skits. There was a lot of, um, you know, shooting things three or four times, um, and then you know you would go and sit in the stand or go on a hike and try to get it try to get an animal and then after you kill the animal you work backwards you know and that's pretty much the way of the way of the the show i was on i filmed a few others that were more film and follow um i personally do like setting up scenes so to me that was probably the funnest part about i don't think i could have done any other show as much as i did hunt masters just because of the style of how i like to shoot Dude, I totally agree. In fact, um, back when I did outdoor TV, if it was a show that was film and follow, if they asked me to do like a freelance job for them or something, I typically wouldn't take it because I just don't work well that way. I just don't think it's my strength. It's just never been my strength. My brain doesn't work that way. Um, Obviously, you have to be able to be on your toes to capture wildlife footage or to capture action or the, the kill shot or whatnot. But I very much am thinking through how we can uh, create a segment, how we can get each shot for the segment. I'm a big script writer myself, and so my brain works that way. And film and follow is just not something I was ever really good at because it's just not my style. Right, yeah, and I, I'm the same way. I say that, I always say, if you're in this space, you're creative. <laughs> but I always say I'm not creative, I'm technical. And I, I do all of my, um, all of everything I've shot and everything I've built is through a, a technical lens, not a hyper creative like i look at you know creators and a a huge gosh what would you say like not inspiration but someone i like to watch i'm if i'm if i have a if i'm driving i shouldn't say this but if i'm driving to the road and i want to watch a video or something i love watching like mckinnon who who doesn't Mm -hmm. know who mckinnon is right but he's like hyper creative and you can Mm -hmm. just tell right um and i've got a few friends the same way they can just they're just the way they look at everything filming and everything production is just through a creative lens. Mine is much more technical. And how can I, if I'm taking a photo of something like I need this much foreground, I want this much, you know, negative space. Like that's how I approach everything. And it's how I approach all my shots. And so trying to do a film and follow where you're on, everything is like at the snap of a finger um, it's not my strength. Yeah, I'm the same way. In fact, I think that's probably part of the reason why you and I were able to click online and develop mm. somewhat of a relationship is because I'm like you. I'm very much a technical person. My friend Kyle Bamberger, I don't know if you, do you know Kyle? I don't. Mm-mm. Okay. Kyle is uh, was on my podcast last week. He's a really good friend of mine. Uh, he's the same way. In fact, yesterday we were talking about how if we weren't doing 
our what we're doing right now for a living, we would both probably make really good DITs. If people don't yeah. know what that is, dim- yeah. digital imaging technician, basically the tech guy on set. <laughs> mm-hmm. If for for lack of better ter- uh, of word, lack of better words, but um, I think that that would be something I would excel at because I understand the tech side of cameras. I understand the tech side of settings and everything else, but. Um, as such, I'm like you in that a film and follow would not, it just would not be a really good fit for me because I, mm-hmm. I need to really kind of think it through. Right. And it's not that it's not, you're not capable of doing it. It's just, that's not what I enjoy. Mm-hmm. And so I, every, every day I would wake up and I wouldn't, I wouldn't be having a good time. If you, if you're working and you're not having, especially in an industry, like, like doing production, if you're not having fun, what are you doing? The whole reason mm-hmm. we got into this is to have fun because we were nerds about camera or you're nerds about hunting or you're, you know, you got into it as a passion field. Nobody wakes up one day and says, I'm going to be a, a DP. Like nobody <laughs> does that. Right. So yeah. And make sure whatever you're doing that you're having a good time. So you work with hunt masters for, for a while. Did you work with any other shows? I did, um, a few small ones. I did, okay. a, I picked up a few shows for, um, game of inches when they needed a help but that was primarily the the tv show that took most of my time i was one of his main videographers cool man and did you uh you or your business partner did you guys ever do any of the editing or anything like that yeah so we edited well i edited four episodes last year um and then we did a lot of the color work and um my business partner he split the color work with me and due to crunch time that I'm sure you're very aware of with outdoor mm-hmm. TV, there's always a crunch time. Uh, he picked up one episode and edited it. Gotcha. He, my business partner isn't, he's getting into hunting. Um, he's an outdoorsman, but he's not a hunter. He's, I mean, like I said, he's starting to be a hunter, but he's not a, um, his passion's not hunting. His passion's always been fly fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an outdoorsman for sure, but just not in the hunting space. So Typically, if we have a job where we only have one shooter, um, if it's outdoor related, I'm more than likely going to go do that one. And mm-hmm. if it's if it's going to be flying somewhere and doing some talking heads or whatever, and or like you know DPing for uh, companies or for a, a commercial or in 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 house video being made, typically if it's only a one shooter, he'll go to that. Gotcha. That makes sense. I kind of, uh, I'm kind of 50, 50 about, um, hunting and fly fishing. I love both about equally the same. (laughs) Um, I love that. Well, uh, so after, after you did some outdoor TV stuff, you said you made the comment that you felt like for some people, like they really love it, but maybe it's not necessarily for everyone. Tell me a little bit more about that. About outdoor television, loving Mm -hmm. it, not for everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, there's a certain pace that you have to run if if you're going to be filming tv and you're gone from home a lot it's really hard on the family um it's not something that for most people if if you have a family um you know a wife and kids or husband and kids or whatever and you want to give everything you can to being a, a parent and a spouse it's really hard to when you're traveling 200 days a year um yeah and with with production work in general, you're traveling. It doesn't matter what you're doing, but it's a lot. It, it is taxing, especially during the fall um, to, you know, you, you're gone on a trip for five to seven days. You're home for two days. You go on another trip for five to seven days, and that's just the season. Um, and then on the off season, 
financially speaking, you don't get paid till the edits are done. You're not on salary. I mean, I guess some people are on salary. I wasn't on salary. I got paid when my work was done. So there is a editing TV is very taxing and very time consuming, especially if you, if you haven't done a lot of it. Like if you're, if you're just starting out and trying to get the hang of how the, the host wants his, his episodes to look, it takes a long time. And so you have to, one is super time consuming. So you're spending all your time doing that and you need to be making money doing other stuff. And it just gets stressful in the off season. I totally agree. And uh, I personally, so I edited two full seasons of outdoor TV and uh, man, my, my biggest challenge with it is, so first off, I, I, I used to say that the show I worked for was where creativity came to die because <laughs> I feel like, and it's not that the show is like necessarily it's not like I'm not trying to like knock the show. Let's just put it that way. But there's just a certain way that they did things that worked for them. I mean, it makes sense. It worked for them for 30 years. I get it. Um, but for me, like I really wanted to try to be more creative and and try different things. Um, but I, there was there was like very very little opportunity to do that. So whenever I would be editing, for example even though I had shot the content when I'd be editing it, it just felt so monotonous to me and I would have a hard time getting the episodes turned around really quick because for me, I just was so bored with it and just wanted yeah. to do something else because it didn't feel very creative. Um, but now that I have an editor on staff, we do, uh, we just picked up a fishing show recently and he, he's from LA and he's amazing. He's super fast. So I just hand it off to him and he could cut it all. And all I'm doing is just kind of overseeing it and making sure it comes out the way it is. But that's right. like that for him that's perfect. He loves sitting behind the computer and crunching out a show. He could do a, an entire show three, four, five days that would take me probably two weeks to do to the same level. And he can do it so fast and just turn it around to me instantly. Um, we do force, you made a comment about getting paid at the end of an edit. We now force, like when we took the fishing show, we do force a 50% deposit, sometimes even 60% up front, because sometimes it could take a while for an, a show to get cut and and edited and it's too hard. I mean, dude, you, you work way too much to wait that long to get paid. So we right. kind of are forcing some of our clients to do that up front. But um, having an editor on staff is like the only way that we can take on work like that. Now, if it was up to me doing it, I, I just, I don't know that I could do it again. Yeah. I think you've definitely found the hack for that <laughs> um, because that's, that is the biggest struggle for, at least it was for me was, how, you have to delegate the time to it. I feel like on on a TV show because it's more long form. It's not a film. It's not like it's to me. I feel like I can get a solid six hours a day in before I'm just fried and I, yeah. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. Um, so and and you said creativity comes to die. I, there is you have to as the editor. Sadly, like you're you're. I don't want to say bottom of the of the totem pole, but you're you're pretty low when it comes to, you know, creative decisions. Like they'll, the, you know, you'll 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 put it the way you want it, but if they don't, if the, whoever is in charge of the show or whatever, if they don't like the way you know the music that you scored or, or the way that you've put a piece together or a skit or a scene or a sequence or whatever, and they say, hey, I want it this way, there's no arguing. You just do it, and so that that is hard because you can put some time into something that you like and, and it's, it's has your flavor on it. And then it's completely turned around. And by the time that the, by the time the episode's over, I, a lot of times I felt like there was zero Aaron Morgan signature on it. 
you know, yeah. and that's, that's frustrating when you spend that much time on something that it's just, it's not anything you want to like, I'm not proud of anything I've made for him, you know? Oh, dude, a hundred percent. In fact, um, there are some shows that I remember like intentionally leaving my name out of the credits because <laughs> I didn't want people to know I edited it. Absolutely. I do the same thing. <laughs> That's so funny. Most people would never understand that. But if you've ever been in this industry and you're listening to this podcast, you might understand where we're coming from there. <laughs> like, oh, if anybody ever saw my name on that, I would never get any work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 100%. So, so you kind of got to a point, though, where um, you kind of wanted to start changing directions. Tell me a little bit more about that. Well, I, I was talking earlier about travel and, and how hard it is and taxing. Um and, and that played a big role because corporate work for the most part is at the most a two or three day trip if you have mm-hmm. to travel. And then there's a lot of local work that you can do. Um, yeah. And so travel's a lot, a lot lighter. And with that, <laughs> the outdoor space, there's just no budget. Mm-hmm. There's none. I mean, not no real budget, right? I mean, you can charge multiple times for a, a day rate and your equipment and whatever else in in a corporate space as what you can charge in the outdoor space. And, uh, I think that that those two factors played a really, really large role in me wanting to switch and me starting the transition to more of a commercial or corporate setting. Yeah. Yeah. That was the same for me. Um, big part of it was the budget. I, I, I can charge anywhere from three to six times the day rate for shooting or editing in, in the commercial corporate world that I ever got in the, and the outdoor workspace, which is remarkable. Plus you're working less hours. Like, man, when you're doing outdoor TV, if you're filming for say you're gone, like you said, long periods of time, you're actually working what 16 plus hour days. You're working really long days. My, my work today, 10 hours is like the longest day. And if it goes over 10, it's like 150 an hour extra anything. Right. So it's worth your time. So it's totally worth my time, right? Like, and anything that I normally do on a daily basis is typically going to be like five, six hours, maybe, um, making, like I said, three to five, three to six times the amount of money. And then on top of that, the travel, I totally agree there. My wife and I, when I did outdoor TV, we were dating and then we got engaged, but we, we struggled with that, man. Like that was really hard. And then she told me, she's like, Hey, when we get married and we have kids like this is going to be really hard for me. And, uh, and now that we have one son and another kid on the way, like, dude, there's no way I could be gone like 200 days a year. Not a chance. Yeah. When I was in the middle, like probably the the longest season I I did in outdoor TV, my daughter, who was at the time, she was eight or nine. um, She told me multiple times in the year and she's so genuine that like she wasn't meaning to hurt. You know, she wasn't meaning to say it in a hurtful way, but she told me a couple of times, daddy, sometimes I feel like I don't have a dad. And that's, that's really hard oh, to hear dude, as a dad. Yeah. yeah. And so those, like I said, that's just some people, that's what, that's what they want to do. And if you don't have a family, I totally get it, man. It's a, it's a great time. Like you said, super long hours, you know, you better have a solid work ethic if you want to do it because, you know, people are paying you to work and, um, but yeah, corporate is, Corporate's more up my up my alley. Just the style of shooting, one, um, obviously budget, travel, but the style of shooting for corporate is more what I enjoy than you know outdoor TV. Um, yeah. So that also played a huge role. I I, I felt like in the outdoor space, um, I felt like I didn't. I had almost capped out on what I was able to learn 
mm-hmm. you know, you learn storytelling and that's important for sure. And storytelling, especially like we were talking about on the fly, it makes you better at it. Uh, mm-hmm. But especially on the technical side, there's just no time, no budget, no real use unless you're working on a film or a commercial. There's no use um, that you're never going to grow after a certain point if you want to learn the technical lighting and, and you know actually being a proper DP. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that when I got out of the outdoor industry, I realized how much I really needed to learn. You know, I, I knew a lot about a, a lot about certain things, but like lighting, for example, my knowledge of lighting at the time was very limited. And right. now it's like dramatically different. And I have like as many lights as a grip truck might have. But but mm-hmm. I, man, when I was on outdoor TV, I had like a basic three lighting kit, barely even knew how to use that. Because it's just not something we had to do very often. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's not popular. You, you talk to people who have been in the commercial space for a year. They're worlds above a lot of people who have been in the outdoor space for a decade. Totally um, agree. When it comes to lighting and just actually setting up a, a scene or, or you know lighting, audio, grip, all that kind of stuff. And like you said, like I, I, look, at, I look at where I'm at knowledge-wise and you know I'm worlds above where I was years ago you know three four years ago but i look and i'm still like man i need to get a better understanding of of this i need to get a better understanding of of this factor of of just production in general we were talking about audio before we started i feel like audio is something where i need to you know really dive in and not be just a solid audio guy but actually be you know professional level audio and i'm not there yet yeah, that's something that I'm continuing to work on because you can make your whole living doing that. Right. But I did spend, so I think it was like year two of being out in the outdoor industry. I I, I told myself like I was going to spend that entire year doing nothing but focusing on learning audio and buying audio gear. And that whole year, that's literally all I focused on. on improve. I mean, I improved in other things, but that was like my primary focus. Every day I was trying to understand and learn more about it. And that's why I have like a huge variety of mics now and things like that. But I still have a long way to go because there's so much to learn, learn and you'll never know everything. It's impossible to know everything, which is part of what I like about being in the commercial space is that there's always something new to learn and always something you can improve. Whereas in the outdoor space, it seemed like you could do some of that, but a lot, most of it's just about getting the job done. Right. And again, everything comes down to budget and it sounds like it sounds greedy if you don't live in it, you know, Mm -hmm. but you have to make a living and, I think everybody's goal is always progress, right? And so progress in, in abilities for sure, but also progress financially. You know, no, yeah. you don't, I don't want to make the same amount of money per year that I made year one and two being in business. You know, I want to, I want to grow every year. And so with that, you want to work on, as you start seeing what budget looks like, and then you get to work on some, I would say real productions. And that sounds so, I think you understand what I'm saying. Like, yeah, I do. Uh, if, if you, once you get to work on those, you get, you see, oh my gosh, I'm so far behind, you know, I need to learn this. I need to learn this. And a lot of times you don't, you don't even know what you don't know until you see it. And that's one, like, that's one really appealing thing about working on bigger commercial productions. I, dude, I totally agree. I remember like my first year out, I would bring in some production assistants to help me. And these are guys that I'm hiring, but they'd be like, Hey man, where's your stingers at? And I'd be like, my what? Be like, your stingers like what the heck's a stinger it's an extension cable but i didn't know that because in the outdoor yeah. world i didn't have to know that and right. it's just like even little things like just the the language you know was mm-hmm. different and i was and like you said you kind of realize how much you you didn't know 
And, right. uh, and then on top of that, like I, and you probably get this too, because we've had some conversations off podcast, but, um, I really wanted to buy an experiment with different gear, like lights, for example. Um, and in the outdoor space, my, my pay wasn't enough to where I could justify buying that kind of equipment. Absolutely. Um, and I feel like that, that played a large part in it. When I think about, when I think about the hunting industry, when I was in it, I always used to say there was like a ceiling of how much you could make. Whereas in the commercial world or the corporate world, the sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could do a $500 video one day or the next day you could be doing a $500 million contract for someone. Now I'm never going to get that. Like, I'm not trying to pretend like I'm going to get that. But the point is, is like the sky literally is the limit. Right. And, and you can get, you can make as much as you're willing to put in and you can be as good as you're willing to be. Like there's no, there is no limit to where, where you can be and skill wise and where you can be financially. It just all depends on how dedicated you want to be, honestly. That's right. Yeah. The only way I've really seen where you can be really successful in the outdoor space is having some sort of an agency where you yeah. have people working f- for you and you're not actually the one out doing it. And I totally agree. Um, that's probably going to be a direction that, you know, we all would go anyway at some point. And you want to build an agency, even in the commercial realm, but you can get a lot farther without that in the commercial space, without having the full agent. Like, you know, you can have a studio and a production house, but do you run socials? Do you run like having that whole, that whole suite or agency or group or whatever? That's where, that's where, I think it's the only way you can really make money in the outdoor space, like real money. Yeah, I yeah I agree. So I, it's funny because I'm actually kind of dipping my toe back in the hunting TV industry and the fishing TV industry, but it's only because of what you just said. I've I've kind of expanded my team where I've got shooters and editors that I hire on a regular basis now, to where I could start to dip my toe back in the hunting and fishing industry and acquire contracts because I have the people who can do it for me and mm-hmm. I just kind of sit back and manage it. And ultimately, if you're going to be if you're going to be in a position to make any money in the hunting or fishing industry, that's really the best way to do it. It's really the only way to do it. Um, and so I'm kind of somewhat getting back into it a little bit just because I have a team and I have some contacts and I kind of want to dip you know, uh, dip into that market and 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 take a few projects on. But that's really, in my opinion, the only, the only real equitable, equitable way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I'll ever fully leave the outdoor space. Um, just because, uh, you know, I still remember the first time I shot a bow and (laughs) like it, the the first time I shot a bow, I was like, yes, this is something I'm going to do. Um, the first time I shot a handgun, I was like, yes, this is something I want to (laughs) do. And I don't know. It's just such a big part of my life that I don't see myself. Like I said, I got into this to have fun. Um, but the goal is to have enough to make it where I can be more choosy about what I'm doing. Not just, Oh, you know, this, uh, this thousand dollar job came by. I need to spend three days on it. Like I'm not going to do that anymore because I don't have to, um, because I've, I've set myself up with commercial work to where I can be choosing, I can, you know, I've obviously I've, I've built my abilities to where I can charge more. Um, I'm building that network and I can be more choosy. And that's, that's really the goal. Do make your passion, make your passion project, something you're actually able to be passionate about. Yeah, man, I totally agree with you there. And that's kind of exactly where I'm at. Um, I'm working on a, uh, a fly fishing film and, right now that's that started as a passion project but i ended up kind of teaming up with a a fly fishing shop 
uh, on it. And it's something like I'm doing because I really wanted to do it. And it just so happened to be that I'm going to make some money off of it, which is really nice. Um, and it's allowing me to, you know, to continue to stay and work in the field that I really enjoy in terms of hunting and fishing. Same thing with uh, outfitter marketing. I love outfitter mm-hmm. marketing pays way better than, um, outdoor TV ever did because I treat them like commercial clients, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I'm getting to be at hunting outfits all the time. So I I love that too. So I've tried to find ways creatively to be able to stay in this space, um, but be a little bit more satisfied with some of the work I'm doing. Absolutely. Um, If that makes sense. But now, now let's talk a little bit. So you're, you're kind of transitioning more into the commercial corporate world. Let's talk about that. What are you doing to kind of make that transition? Like what steps are you taking to get into those markets to build those relationships and what kind of commercial corporate jobs are you targeting right now? Right. So I think it all goes back to what we said earlier with even the hunting space. It's all about relationship. And so, um, as I said earlier, my business partner does a lot of the corporate commercial work and that's because he's built relationships over the years in those spaces. And so, um, we are using the, the years of, of relationship building that he's had to, you know, tap into those networks. We have a, we have a, a handful of, of connections and hopefully, you know, we can grow on it, but it's all networking, you know, again, everything comes down to how, how well can you build relationships with, with people in a given space. Right. Um, so we're targeting, Obviously, you always want to do documentaries, always want to do Mm. films. That's where the fun work is. And that's what we're targeting is doing uh, like brand anthems. Uh, But obviously, that's hard to get without having a few solid ones in the bag already. So yeah, I agree. A lot of those are kind of we're doing those and we're either doing them cheap. We just finished a film that we made um, and it wasn't it wasn't for a. It wasn't commercial. It was literally a passion project out of our own pocket. You know, here to say out of our own pocket really just means we did it for free, right? Like we, we right. used our gear. If we had to rent something, we paid for it. Um, the talent that we used, it was something they were passionate about. But we finished a film. We put it in a film festival. We're a finalist in a film festival. It's super awesome. Congrats. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, it's super cool. And and we were, were really excited about it. But that that film has been seen by a couple of business people that – they're like, Hey, I want you to make one of those for my business. And that's, I guess that's a good way of targeting too, is if you want to, if you want to be a filmmaker, you should probably have a film to show people. Um, that's a, a good rule of thumb. If you want to have, if you want to do talking head videos, you should probably have a couple really solid talking head videos to show. Um, that way when people are wanting proof of concept, you have something to show them. Um, and so we are working on films. We, we end up doing a lot of talking head. Like you said, we're very, uh, nerdy when it comes to lighting and, mm-hmm. and just the whole talking head is one of those things that you can do 200 of them a year. And every single talking head interview, you're going to learn something about lighting, about shaping light, about color contrast, about audio. You're going to like, you're going to learn every single time. And that's, what's so fun about it. So, uh, we do, I, we do a lot of, of talking head work for companies. Yeah. Yeah, I would say Talking Head probably makes up the majority of my projects just because there's such a huge demand for those types of projects, whether it's just Talking Heads or Talking Head projects with B-roll content. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know it sounds boring, but dude, I love Talking Heads because I so absolutely fun. love the the lighting. Like last week, I did 
was kind of a rapid fire thing where I had to do four talking heads in like three hours, which I know probably sounds like a lot of time to some people, but that's not a lot of time to me. Like I usually want at least two hours to set up my lighting because I really want to think it through and like, how do, do I want to splash some light on this wall to, or, or maybe create some shadows with a gobo or whatever, you know? And like, right. And yeah. I love that. I absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. And so like the shoot I was on last week, it was just a blast just kind of going through and, and I brought even minimal lighting setup, but just kind of thinking through everything. It was just so much fun to me. So I think you can be really creative even with talking heads. And a lot of people sometimes maybe don't uh, understand that. Yeah. I think I remember seeing that on your, on Facebook. Uh, mm-hmm. You had like a two light setup. You're running a what yeah, was it was like two, three hundred, like something. a one twenty or something. Yeah, yeah, that's was, actually that's all it was. It was two lights. You're right. It was two lights. Super simple. Yeah, but I didn't you have some screen grabs from it though. I had, yeah, I think I, I feel had like one you posted screen a screen grab and yeah. it, it looks solid. And that's one thing to keep in mind. A lot of times we over we overcomplicate our stuff because because yeah. it's fun. It is um, fun, yeah. <laughs> but it's amazing what you can do. I actually did a talking head yesterday with a company that they don't want they if if they showed up to a set and i had six lights they would freak out um (laughs) so i i ran two lights i ran three lights total but i ran two uh of those they have them in house they had i only had to bring one light with me but they had two amaran 100s okay and i just bounced those on the ceiling to get some fill light to to fill the ambience of the room and then i shot my nanlite 300 on them for a for a key and called it a day it looked good and it was probably one of the most basic setups I've ever done. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. I've done something similar. So I'll be on shoots where, where it has to be kind of low key like that. So I'll just take like um, a light dome and like a 300 D or 600 D and just bounce it off the ceiling as long as the ceilings are kind of neutral or white. And then right. um, I'll throw like a key light. And then if I'm, if I have, if they'll let me have the space or the time, I'll set up some sort of a rim light. Right. And just like super basic. But then I have done stuff that's a lot more complicated where I'm literally splashing lights with barn doors to have like a slice of light on the wall here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've yeah. got, you know, my little B7Cs in a lamp that so I can control the color temperature and right. different backlights and stuff. And that's those are my favorite. And got negative fill like inched up real close to them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, it, it's funny how complex or how simple you can make them. But that's what I love about it is everyone, like you said, is completely different. Right. Yeah. We just did a, a film with Jordan Davis. I don't know if you know who that is, but he's a country mm-hmm. music artist. He uh he won Song of the Year. I don't know if you've heard By Dirt, but that's a song. Yeah, he wrote I've heard that song, yeah. With Luke Bryant. Yeah. And so we did a like a little campfire session with him and, and the guy, the producer's not into lighting. Um, but he hired my business partner and I because we do audio and lighting and that's kinda like what we like. And it was supposed to be, you know, make it feel like ambient tone. We don't want it to look like it's being lit and stuff. So we ran a lantern. We had a 300, uh, we use, we use an light. I use, you're obviously, I think you're an aperture guy. I am, um, yeah. <laughs> we use an light. Um, so we had a, a Forza 300 shooting through with a, with a Fresnel shooting through a window for a rim. And then we mm-hmm. had, you know, moonlight outside. We had the, well, we, we made moonlight outside with a couple of led panels and a lantern inside. It was super like, it came out super clean. And, and then we, we put light excuse me, we replaced the light in the lamps because they were, they were blown out. Mm-hmm. And we asked the guy, we were like, so at what point was this overkill for you? Cause like I said, he's like, <laughs> he was like the light and the lamps, the light. That, <laughs> that was, that was the point where I was like, this is, this is being overdone. And I was like, okay, 
you know, and then after it was done, we graded it. I sent it to him. I was like, this is what the light in the lamps did. You have that really soft light mm-hmm. in the lamps. Like it, the, the details and lighting is what matters. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Lighting is actually my absolute favorite part of video more than anything else because Same. I think I talked about, I did an episode last week that was all about like coloring. And I think that um, lighting is the number one step toward having like great color in your video. 100%. And I, I'm a big believer that like my, I think of it like this, the, the camera's image is like my, my canvas and lighting is my paintbrush. And that's kind of how I approach lighting and video. And I paint my image with light and I think it just makes a massive difference. So even like you said, something as small as like softening a light in a lamp could make a massive difference mm-hmm. uh, to your viewers. So I'm, I'm really big into that. Um, I, it's funny that you said about him not, not being like really big into light because I've, I've had, I've ran into clients like that. I had a corporate client last year that actually asked me to bring a smaller camera next time. Cause he felt <laughs> like my, I, my FX six was too big. And he's like, man, it just that's makes funny. people nervous. And that was the first time I've ever ran into that. But I was like, that's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. Yeah. I, you know, like you said about lighting being your favorite part, I say this a lot like the, all a camera does is capture light. That's all mm-hmm. a camera does. And so, how are you manipulating the image that's being put in front of your camera? Right. And you can get super techie and talk about, you know, like exposure is what determines the, the, the value of the color that you're seeing. Right. Mm -hmm. If if you don't, especially if we're shooting in log, if you overexpose skin tones, good luck. Mm -hmm. Right. Like there's a certain exposure value that skin tones have to be, to be correct if you're for different profiles, if you're using like a Cine or a Gamma LUT, that's different, right? And Mm -hmm. just knowing the differences between that is instrumental. And so learning lighting, I don't know. I think that that is, if you want to be a professional, learn lighting more than anything else, learn lighting and like learn how to shoot with lighting. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to learn more about what he's talking about in terms of like knowing your exposure values, you can Google the term IRE and then see what your log, what your IRE values for proper exposure are for like base exposure or skin tones or white point values just based on your IRE. And different companies like Sony will have like an IRE value for like S-Log3. I know that like for middle gray, it's 41%. And so you can look that up. I think it's like 61% for bright whites. And so if you look that up and, and but for your camera manufacturer, you can learn a lot about how to hit proper exposure e- to a technical standpoint, which I think this is, again, why I say I feel like I make a DIT because I love the tech side. But yeah. anyway, if you want to learn, if you want to learn more about that, guys, just like Google IRE values for your camera's log curve. Right. And every profile is different. So mm-hmm. You know, if if you shoot Canon or whatever, it's not going to be the same values as what you just said for S log three, obviously. Exactly. Right? So yeah, I I see S log underexposed a lot, mm-hmm. and it's it's just a matter of like you said, go to go to the website and just do a little research, and it's going to make the end product so much better. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, another point on learning lighting and audio um, is I have actually found some companies in my area, different production houses that are starting to hire me now just to come in with my lights or my sound equipment, whether they're bringing me in, it's like a grip or, or whatever. So I just feel like, I guess my point is I feel like it can open up a lot of doors for you to go work with other production houses. Um, when you learn that kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't feel like, I don't feel like taking the time to increase knowledge before I buy gear. So 
my business partner and I, we've had talks about, you know, back in the day, it was running A7Ies, A7R3s. And when I first started, I ran an A6300. That was my first professional camera. And it's funny, it's an APS-C. Like, looking back, I'm like, holy cow, people paid me to do this. Um, but before you buy a new piece of gear, I've, and I'm really talking cameras, not lighting. You buy all the lights you want because they're always cool. And lights are always lights and microphones. Always buy them because they're yeah, fun. dude. dude That's my kind sound of a joke guy, from a nerd. I, my sound guy at church the other day told me he has 200 mics now. My I was goodness. like, I was like, that's that's a bit much. <laughs> <laughs> that, but, that's a bit hefty. But yeah, with yeah, with no cameras, problem. like utilize, get to where your camera's holding you back, and you're you're actually using the full potential of your camera before you upgrade, right? And I I feel like learning learning a a skill and, and understanding taking the time to understand everything about your gear is never going to come back like it's never not going to help you in the end is that if that makes sense yeah um every time uh, my business partner and i have have really taken our time and worked on a project like the film we just put in it's always opened doors that propelled us to another level of of like our, our in our profession right it's it's always turned out well when we take our time and do things right you know a lot of times you get on a shoot and i don't know if, if you're still in this i'm still in this i'm still in a position with my with my work that a lot of my clients aren't wanting a full scene built out like it's mm -hmm. hey bring a couple lights i don't want it to look like we just shot it handheld but we don't need to go extravagant like that's where i'm at right now in a lot of the corporate work i do and you know, usually we'll over deliver, but it's still not, it's still not the level of what, you know, like you get hired and you have a full grip truck and you have a six six man seven man team. We're not, I'm not there yet professionally. Yeah, right? no, most most of my stuff I call it skeleton crew for the most part, unless we're doing like a huge event or something. I run skeleton crews. Right, right, but and so like, I don't know. It's really easy just to go in and, and say, oh, I'm just gonna throw up a light real quick, and if it mm -hmm. looks good, it looks better than it did before, so it's fine. But every time you you take your you take your time and you really shoot. When we were shooting this film, there were days where, when we like we would show up at eight in the morning and we leave at five and we got three shots because we were taking so much time with lighting, um, and it it always turns out well professionally mm -hmm. whenever we do that. So you can't always do that because, you know, I think we spent like seven days on this film that were there's no money coming in for it, and so you're you're giving time away, and it's like. I can work on this film or I can have a day with my family. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, but it turns out well professionally. And so it, it's propelling yourself into another level of, of, of work, hopefully. So I want to touch on one thing you said, you said um, you want to get to a point where like the camera, the camera, for example, is holding you back. Mm -hmm. I think I see a lot of people do that. I have a friend, for example, um, who really wants to buy a red v-raptor right now and i i've asked him several times like dude why do you want to buy a v-raptor because by the time he buys it with all the accessories he needs for it he's gonna be dropping some serious change yeah and he's like well i just you know i just want my my videos to have the look that's the word he always says is the look and i'm like well what's the look and he said well, i just want it to look good i just want it to i hate this word but i want it to look good and cinematic or whatever <laughs> but what's funny to me is the current camera equipment he has he's never maxed his potential with because he's never, for example, he's never shot in log, ever shot in log. And I'm like, so why, if you've never even shot in log on your own camera, then why are you wanting to go drop all this money on a V-Raptor? You, you don't even, 
you don't even really know what you're missing yet because you haven't reached or tapped into anywhere near the full potential of your camera. Mm -hmm. And I feel like a lot of people do that where they get convinced they need something just because they have it in their head that's going to make them better. When in the reality is a lot of times you just probably haven't maximized the potential of your current gear. And only when you've maximized your current potential and you can't get anything left, should you at that point upgrade in my opinion. Right. And I mean, to, to, Caveat, what you're saying, like, I mean, I want a Raptor too. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> but, I do too. <laughs> like, who doesn't? Who but, doesn't, right? Uh, I, I totally agree. And if I, I have a few friends who have Raptors and ni- none of them, not not one of them has used it for anything more than what my FX6 will do. 100%. Except, except that... And, and, Except for uh, it's a way of being lazy. You can shoot in raw and then, oh, my white balance was wrong or, oh, it was underexposed. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's not a good reason to buy a a $35,000 camera just for the brain, right? Like, I mean, you're 50 grand in buying that once you once you bought everything that goes with it, right? Like, why not just spend a couple weeks, months learning how to (laughs) run an (laughs) FX6? Yeah. You know, like to me, like exactly what you're saying, shoot log experiment. And you don't have to do that on a, on a paid gig. Like take your, Mm -hmm. take your A7S3 out and go in your backyard or go in your living room and set up a lighting setup and shoot and log and learn to understand. I remember the first time I shot in log, it was with my, it was with my A6300, which granted log on an A6300 isn't that great, but I shot it and I saw the grain. I'm like, I'm never using this. Yeah. And then a few years later, I started looking into it more and I was like, oh, well, now I understand because I, I, I learned what, what, why it's grainy. I learned how to fix the grain. I learned, mm-hmm. you know, you're overexposed, don't underexpose. And I'm used to underexposing because on, on a Cine or a, you know, a hyper log gamma, you, you typically underexpose a little bit. And so it's a different, it's a different approach to, to filming, but it's something that you've got to, just take the time to learn, especially if you yeah, have man. to spend 50,000. <laughs> especially, yeah, like maybe you do a little more research first. I, uh, so I, my first time shooting log was on the A7S Gen 1, and the lowest base ISO at that time on that camera for S Log 2, which is what it had, was 3200. Okay. So it was like super bright. So there was not a circumstance where you didn't have to have ND unless you're shooting at like night. And mm-hmm. I still underexposed somehow and just totally screwed up the image. It was horrible. And I was like, this is really dumb, you know, just like what you yeah. said. But then later on, I started to to really learn and understand. And then it made a lot more sense to me. Um, but uh, on your comment on the, uh, like, people being lazy with wanting to buy cameras that shoot in RAW, dude, if I, if I had a dollar for all the times I've read online, like on Facebook, for example, people talking about why they want to shoot RAW, and they'll say one of the biggest, strongest arguments is, oh, well, you can fix your white balance. Like, what are you people doing? Like, why are you having to fix your white balance? Like, my I white never have a white really balance easy. problem. No, no, it takes two seconds. It, it, you can yeah. either shoot a white balance card and nail it, or I like to shoot white balance card and then shoot a color chart if I'm doing like a interview or something. Absolutely. Or at the very least, I know my Kelvin values enough because of experience. I can look at a situation and just like if I'm shooting on the fly, Even and I can get it hundred. close. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think that's important to know. Like I talked to a couple of people and, or, you know, I've had people reach out to me and they're like, man, I feel, I feel overwhelmed with 
learning all this stuff. And, and I think it's important to note, you talked about your A7S, uh, you said A7S2? Or A7S1. A7S1. Yeah, it's back A7S1. Gen one. So you talked about that. Like there was a time, are you super, you know, super knowledgeable now? And have you, does it seem like you don't make mistakes now to a lot of people? Probably, right? I mean, obviously we, people think, you know, Oh man, how come your stuff's always perfect? And it's not. <laughs> like no, I still make not. a lot of mistakes. But <laughs> every like, shoot, I make mistakes, man. Right, and I there was a time when we didn't know anything at all, mm-hmm. right? And so, just a little by little by little, and there's years in the making. You hear a lot of people be like, "Oh, it took me years to build this assortment of gear, or years to build." It took years to build a knowledge base too, right? And but you have to start and just start with something. And once it's funny, once you start learning, like you talked about, you know, looking up your IRE. Once you look up IRE. Oh, well, that opens the doors to, oh, well, now I need to learn about this. And now I need to learn about this. And it's amazing how fast you can attain knowledge if you really spend some time. Yeah. And you can do it in chunks, man. Like I talked about spending a whole year just learning audio. Like you Mm -hmm. can spend it, you can spend chunks like, hey, like this week or this month, I just want to learn how to shoot and log, for example. And then you can figure it out. Because like, man, every, I, I seriously, when I say this, every single outdoor uh, TV show I've ever spoke with, every single one of them has always told me that they don't shoot and log. And the reason is because is they always say, every single one of them has said, we don't have time to color and post. But that just shows me that you don't, and I talked about this in my podcast last week, that shows me that you just don't have the knowledge. Because if you knew how to color log, it's super fast. In fact, it's I use like fast. in Resolve, I've been grading in Resolve since 2014 mm-hmm. and Resolve makes it so easy because you don't even have to use LUTs if you don't want. You can literally run a color managed workflow and like literally as you bring your footage in, it's already got a Rec. 709 look to it. And it's correct. Here's a DaVinci versus Premiere thing. Uh, is With the FX6, the F, the uh, on Premiere, I'm a DaVinci guy. So I um, in Premiere the FX. If you bring an FX six footage in log, it does some auto LUT. That you've got to go yeah. in and interpret the footage, modify it back to seven oh nine. Yeah, it's like man, where yeah, you can just. I mean, I don't do color managed, but you can, if you wanted to, like you mm-hmm. said, you just set up your your default settings in DaVinci to run color managed. If you know what camera you're going to run, and a lot of outdoor. TV, they have one or two cameras, usually the same profile they're going to run. You know, everything you everything you do is going to be S-Log3 or, you know, Gamut 3. City or whatever. And it just automatically converts it to a 709. Mm-hmm. You're done. And if you don't want to grade it from there, you don't have don't to. Don't grade it. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, it's funny, if you proper, if you shoot it correctly and you don't care about having a really, really, really refined look and you're good with, with you know, Rec. 709, it looks pretty good if you shoot it if you shoot it just correctly. Yeah, dude, I've shot a lot of stuff that I barely touched or even haven't touched. I look at it, I'm like, that looks pretty dang good. Like, there's not much mm-hmm. about that that I feel like I need to fix or change. I've shot a lot of stuff um, where all I'm doing is light shaping. Yeah, same here. Um, I, on the uh, and it, on the color manage thing, even if you don't run color manage, but you want to quickly adjust everything, you could even just like CST. go to your manufacturer's website. Well, you could do a CST, but you could even make it even simpler by going to manufacturer's website, getting like Sony's LC709A LUT is designed for S-Log3, S-Gamma3.Cine. You could literally highlight all your clips, right click and add the LUT, and then boom, now they're all converted and mm-hmm. it will look good. And of course, you can still tweak it from there if you want because the underlying record re- recorded value is still log. So you still have like the base information there 
to work with. So I just don't understand why people won't do that in the outdoor space because it literally takes me like two seconds, but it's just a lack of knowledge is all it Again, is. Again, yeah, it's a lack of knowledge. And one thing I found um, to be a barrier to is, well, we've always done it this way. And yeah. <laughs> so I don't want to, I don't want to change how I, how I do it because this is how it's always been done. And again, everything in the outdoor TV world is time. Right. And so, uh, you know, I'll just throw a LUT on it and call it good. And it's like, man, that's just, <laughs> that's just asking for trouble. There was an episode that I didn't, I didn't have anything to do with. And so I always distinguish this. I didn't have anything to do with this episode. Nothing. Um, but when it went to TV, who the the person who edited it just threw LUTs on it. And I don't know if he threw the same LUT on every shot or what, but like there was one scene where it was a white wall in the background. And in some shots, it was white. In other shots, it was cyan, like very cyan on a white wall. And it was just <laughs> a LUT. You can tell it through. It looked like a summer orange teal. Oh, gosh. Hollywood blockbuster LUT threw oh, on it. No. And it was... I'm like, man, how does anybody watch that? Like, uh, that's terrible. Yeah. Dude, my first uh, TV show I worked for full time was really the only one I ever worked for full time. I was trying to get them to switch to log. And the very first episode I handed over, they had an edit. Like, I edited one show that was a deer farming show, but they had an in house editor that edited the hunting show. And I handed the footage over to that editor and he left it all in log and it went to air in log. And his, when I asked him about it, because like, dude, what are you doing? Like, why is there no color? Like, you didn't color it. And he's like, well, I just thought that was the look you were going for. It's like, log is not a look. <laughs> like, what are you doing? You just <laughs> tapped into one of my biggest pet peeves and in the outdoor space right now. Log is cool. Yeah. Uh, and that's a driving, that's another driving. For, I didn't, I didn't really, I, I you went there. So now I got to go there. So. <laughs> I wasn't trying to say this, but one of the big reasons I want to get out of the outdoor space is because I'm tired of hearing how cool log is. And it's like, no, that just tells me you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. That's, you, yeah, dude, that's really funny. So you said you don't, you don't run a color managed workflow uh, in uh, Resolve. So the reason why I do is um, like, for example, I just shot a project yesterday for a church and we're projecting it in Rec 709 Gamma 2.4, but online we're putting it online in Rec 709 a and so okay. with the color managed workflow i can hop between the gamma spaces and it keeps the values correct and that's why i run yeah it. that makes sense i mean almost I, almost all my deliverables are gamma 2.4 so yeah mine just kind of depend because we we do stuff like in movie theaters or we'll do stuff like on tv or we'll do stuff on the web it just really depends right and in that sense it makes it makes sense to do that i i haven't ran into that so um you know, my, our business, we're licensed through black magic. Mm -hmm. So, um, we love just, just like, we love color. Um, mm -hmm. I actually on my screen right now, I'm, I, I have, I have you up on my computer screen also, but behind you, you know, the back, the background program, I have a, a job I'm coloring right now. And I've been looking at it off and on while we're talking and I'm, I'm thinking about, okay, how do I want to color this look? How do I want to like, that's where my creativity likes to shine is, is trying to come up with looks and, you know, so with color, I feel like color managed, you lose a little bit of that. Um, mm -hmm. so, so I, I just, I, uh, I like to do it the way we've done it. And if there was a case, like you're saying, I mean, 
they have it in the program for a reason because yeah. sometimes it's better. You yeah. Know what I mean? So yeah, most of my clients were putting our projects in a variety of different places. And so for mm-hmm. me, I, I run color managed just so I can hop between the different space. Otherwise I'd be having to do like one timeline at Gamma 2.4 and then another one at non Gamma 2.4 doing it like 2.2 or, you know, just 709A or something like that. And so it just kind of, for simplicity's sake, for the different platforms we're putting our stuff on, it just kind of makes sense for me. It, it, again, everything comes down to, to workflow time, how, how long do you have to spend on a project to make it yep. where you're making money, where the client's not, you know, not every client has a $3,000 color budget, you know? Yeah. And yeah. like, I'm going to spend, I have, let me see, I have, I don't, this, this project I'm, I'm working on right now, I only have 35 images. So I'm going to be able to color this in 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Whereas you have a project like a TV show is like 400 to 500 clips, right? And that, if your budget's not, insane i have 53 seconds to grade each clip on yeah. average yeah. and you're just not going to be able to do as much and so if you if i spend let's say i have a project where I, I i the budget allows me to have 53 seconds and i spend four minutes on each clip i just gave up a lot of money yeah right and so you have to you have to deliver what you're being paid for yeah, no, no, makes total sense, man. I totally agree with that. Before we wrap up the podcast, I want to ask you a little bit. Tell me about because um, people listening to this are kind of gearheads. Tell me a little bit about what you guys are running uh, gear wise. Yeah, so we're Sony. Uh, we are a hundred percent Sony um, on the dark side. Yeah, yeah, we 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 follow the we we saw the light, um, but we run uh, accumulatively. We have three FX sixes and a one an R, an S, an FX3, um, and I think that's it. Uh, and so I need to buy Matt, but my, my business partner, he has the A1, and every time I see it, I get jealous. I'm still shooting an A7R3 for photo camera, mm-hmm. um, but with the A1, the ability, like how good it is at photos and how good it is at video, like golly, man, it's the perfect running gun camera. I don't, I've had people tell me like the R5, you know, Sony that can't shoot anything as good as a Canon R5. I'm like, you've never seen the A1, obviously, because it blows the R5 out of the water. It blows any camera as a hybrid, especially it blows any camera I've ever seen out of the water. Um, so that's my next purchase, but we have three FX sixes. Um, how, how deep do you want me to get into gear? You can get as deep as you want. Okay. Uh, small HD. We're huge small HD fans. Yeah, same here. Which models do you run? Uh, Indy fives or uh, Action Five, Indy Seven, Cine Seven. Okay, um, I've got an Indy Five, Cine Five, and I have an old like Focus Five. I've just had for a thousand years that I put on my C gotcha. cam. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's just they're so, gosh, the color. They did so much more true to color. Yeah. Right. Like we have an OC. Have you seen the OC Director's Monitor? O O S E. Mm-hmm. So we have one of those and if, if, if let's say I'm shooting and Matt or let's the director is watching the director's monitor, like the image that they're seeing is the same image that I'm seeing. Like it just looks so good mm-hmm. in comparison to a very high end director's monitor that we run on certain projects and stuff. And so being able to know pretty darn close how your image is going to look being converted to Rec. 709 is 
is such it's such a big value. Um, Not to then, mention the tools, man. Like I'm like EL right. Zone is like one of my favorite features that Small HD has. And there's just like or yeah. their color picker tool. Oh my gosh, I absolutely could not live without color picker today. I we we're fanatical about Small HD. Like we we wish to God we had a connection in Small HD and we could just be sponsored. <laughs> we, yeah, we'd have Small HD everything. Um, but uh, Sennheiser mics. Um, as much as we can, we try to run G master lenses. Mm-hmm. I'm looking, I'm looking in my closet to see if what I, what all I'm, what all <laughs> I'm looking at, but, um, lights, I already said we run NAND light. Mm-hmm. Um, we, so aperture, we're building a studio right now. And when we get our studio, our studio lights are all going to be aperture. Um, but our running gun lights are going to be NAND light still. And we feel like NAND light has more output for mm-hmm. the, for the watt range that you're at. Um, and it's very good quality of light. A lot of people don't understand quality of light and just mm-hmm. throw up an LED panel, right? But or go to Home Depot and buy some lights. This TV show oh, yeah, just, did that literally. Just bounced off of a phone car. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we run NAND light for for running gun. I think Aperture has a better uh, app and it's better for linking if you're running mm-hmm. multiple lights and in the studio setup where you want to have like, oh, we're shooting this podcast all our lights are going to go whatever like the nova 300 p300c is one of the best lights made i in yeah my i love i've got two of those sitting over there and even for simple things it's like you could take a white background splash one on each side and make it like a yellow background and it looks right unbelievable well and you've seen well with the p600c's you see people running like making green screens yeah because of how it's just an amazing light yeah um, it's amazing uh so yeah we run nan light uh, and everything we have is nan light. Um, all our keys, like all our, like we have three hundreds. We have the sixty Bs, sixty Ds, Pavo tubes, Forzas. Um, trying to think of what else. Uh, what else would you like me to? Talk no, about? I mean you're you're doing well. I mean man. we have we have a lot of gear. Um, we <laughs> we aren't quite grip truck heavy. We've got to we've got to work on building getting some more flags and. Um, you know, diffusion material and all that kind of stuff. But we've got some, but you can always have more. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got uh, a grip bag that I, so I've got like two, I like, I really like Matthews and I've got these Matthews cases that I've mm-hmm. have just tons of C stands in them. I have one of them that I think weighs 150 pounds. So I just leave it in the bed of my truck under my bed cover. It's yeah. so heavy with grip gear that I just don't even pull it out. <laughs> I just leave it in there. So I always have grip gear on me. Cause I think, man, like, I could have a whole podcast on that, but I feel like, man, just having really good grip gear goes a long way in helping you to accomplish different looks. So, yeah, I remember having, gosh, I don't even know what they're called. Um, newer, newer light stands. Yeah, that's a brand. Yeah. Yeah. So I would buy just their light stands and like they're, they're, they're not their, even their heavy duty stuff, but they're lighter duty stuff. And I would, I would be running my, my key lights and stuff on it. And there's always that flex. You always have yeah. the, the key or whatever, yeah. the light, like, like bobbing in the wind. And I was always nervous it was going to fall and, and break. And then we started getting somebody. Into, yeah. We, we, we started getting into Matthews and Coupo and, mm-hmm. um, we put all of our stuff in SKBs. So it's really mm-hmm. easy. We can stack them all. So we have, um, I have a two light kit with power. Um, obviously as a nan lights, two, two lights, uh, two stands. I throw a couple Pavo tubes in it. I throw my audio setup in it and it's all in one SKB. So I know if I got to go to a quick 
two light setup. I grab one SKB, everything's already in there and I throw it in my car and I can just go. And that's, that's really, really, really nice. Having stuff ready to go is, is amazing. But SKB yeah, has been a totally huge agree. game changer for us. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, on the A1 that you mentioned earlier, I was going to mention this. So, um, be careful when you buy one because you'll do what I did and you'll end up buying a second one because <laughs> that is like one of the best cameras I think I've ever worked with in all honesty. And I love yeah. my FX6, obviously. It's a different style of camera, but there's really nothing that the A1 cannot do. Well, and even sometimes you're in a place where you can only have one camera or mm. and the ability to crop if you shoot an AK is... Man, the footage just looks so good, and it's—I don't know what it is, but the colors—it seems to 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 be able to like it's it's easier to grade for some reason. Yeah, it's the um, most color accurate camera I've ever owned. It's it's amazing, and yeah, yeah, I I think I'm safe from buying. I say that I'm a gearhead, so I probably yeah, I, I that's a problem. Um, <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want the A1 really bad, and it's at mm. first when I when I first saw Matt's, my business partners, um, I didn't like it. And the reason I didn't like it was because of the shutter. I don't like the shutter on it. Um, and that sounds really dumb, but no, I get it. So you're talking about the actual physical shutter and the way it sounds and feels. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I didn't, I, it threw me for a curve as well. Mm -hmm. And it, it, that shouldn't dictate whether or not you like a camera, especially right. since it's not even the real sound, but like, I just, I didn't like, it and I was like, man, I just don't, I don't, I don't think so. But then I started messing with it more and, on shoots, I'll have to use it or whatever. And yeah, uh, that's, that's the next camera on my list. I have to buy a new computer. I've talked to you, um, before I've got to get a new hard drive set up. Yeah. Um, but those are more important, but after those, the a one is on my list. Yeah. The, um, I just, the shutter doesn't bother me anymore because the camera was really designed to shoot with the electronic shutter full time, mm -hmm. which right. is counterintuitive because used to be the electronic shutter. There was some like negative things with shooting mm -hmm. with it but now it, it's like a strength yeah. uh, on the a1 so I, I just you just don't hear the shutter now which is a new way of shooting kind of threw me for a loop and if you were if you have it set to 30 frames per second you could rack up a thousand photos in like seconds without even realizing it yeah <laughs> so you have to be a little careful there but um yeah it's an amazing camera i shot uh this christmas project with both my a1s and my fx6 and i remember i shot uh this this the pastor speaking my tight shot was with the A1 and my kind of wider shot was the FX6. And I called my editor when he sent me the project. I'm like, did I not have my FX6 in focus? But what it was is, is that the A1's 8K, even downscaled to 4K, was so freaking detailed that it made my FX6 not look like it was in focus. So he had to go in and like yeah. sharpen my FX6 footage to make it match more. Well, and, you know, typically on a, on a grade we have our sharpening turned down our internal sharpening turned down all our mm -hmm. cameras yeah my sharpening is like literally it was as low as it could go right and so when when you go in and post to sharpen because that's why we do it you you sharpen it right. in post because it's better when we go into post to sharpen it typically our fx6 footage is like 48 47 on indavinci uh -huh. and yeah. we'll have to put like we have to add blur on the a1 footage even yeah. after turning down the sharpening it's insane like we're 51 52 on blur, because, you know, I mean, you know, I'll say it for your listeners, like in sharpening and DaVinci, you're actually messing with blur, not sharpening. It's it's really sharpening or sharpen. You go to your blur uh, dial and it's set at 50. And so you're you're taking away blur, which is like zero, 50 is like zero. 
So we're your 47 is like negative three. We're having to having to add two steps or stops of, of sharp of blur with the A1 because of just how sharp it is. It's crazy. Yeah. I've actually been throwing a one sixteenth um black pro mist in the front of mine to dial it back a little bit yeah, which i like good doing call. that sometimes anyway but it on the a1 specifically that really helps it because you, you can't get too detailed sometimes and so mm-hmm. that kind of helps it but it's a good detail on the a1 it's not overly sharpened like a drone would be it's like yeah. a very good detail and it's not like I a digital it. sharpening exactly right right well yeah. and uh, i think gosh you you were talking about um Golly, I just totally lost my train of thought. Um, Black Pro huh. Mist. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't remember what it was. You. It okay. was. It's trying yeah, to jog you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that the A1 is just an incredible, incredible camera. And you said you run three FX6s together. We do. Yeah, nice, we man. have three. Um, I bought. I had one, and obviously my my business partner has one. He bought his first. Um, and then I got mine and then I had an opportunity when they were still really hard to get a hold of. Yeah. I had a, a friend who had ordered one and he didn't need it anymore. And I was like, dude, don't, don't cancel it. I'll, I'll pay you for it. Whenever it comes in, I, I'll pay you the cash for it. And I'll buy it from you. And so as soon as it came in, I got another one when they were still pretty hard and I bought it pretty much just to rent out. And so I've, I think I've personally used it twice and I've had it for about six months. That's but hilarious. I bought. I did the same thing. I my local um, uh, Texas Media Systems, like my local video store, and I've got a great relationship with them. So they called me when they got another one in stock, and they're like, "You want it?" I'm like, uh, "Yeah, I'll take it." So I bought a second one, and like three weeks later, my wife told me she was pregnant. I was like, eh, "Maybe I'll put that cash back in the bank just in case we need it." So I sold it and got the cash back. <laughs> well, yeah, it, you, you know, you you buy a lot of gear if you have a good relationship with the if if the camera store is calling you. On an FX6, you know yeah. you buy a lot of gear. Yeah, it's a problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a problem. Yeah. I do see your gear sometimes on, on your page, and I'm like, man, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I sent my gear list over to one of my friends the other day. I have this like spreadsheet, or not spreadsheet, it's just a, a note sheet that's got like a breakdown of all my equipment. I sent it to my buddy the other day, and he's like, bro, you got a serious problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just like my fabrics for my scrims is like a really long section just to list all those off. It's hilarious. Yeah, that's that's something we got to get more of. That's just man, it's one of the. There are things that you want to spend money on, and things that you don't want to spend money on. Hundred percent, dude. That it's it's hard to spend money on fabrics, but they're so important. Yeah, but they are expensive, man. I've spent like mm-hmm. three or four hundred dollars just like on an unbleached muslin or something like that. Yeah. It's like, dang, that's like really expensive. Or maybe even five hundred bucks. I don't know. It's a lot of money. <laughs> it's wild. It's wild. It's wild. Well, cool, man. Well, hey, I really appreciate you hopping on the podcast. Now that you're um, kind of transitioning more into the commercial corporate stuff, where can people find your work? Man, honestly, I, I pretty much only post Instagram. I post maybe twice a year to Facebook, but my Instagram is at Aaron.m.morgan. It's hilarious. I'm the opposite. I post on maybe Instagram like once or twice a year. I'm not really bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm bad about social media in general. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not great. Uh, I Facebook, I kind of is for family, pretty much, yeah. and um, I should get better at it. I just I've never prioritized Facebook and Instagram. Honestly, I would say it's more a habit than anything. Every few days, I'm like, oh, I should probably post something, and so I post it. But realistically, my Instagram is all hunting. I don't really. I mean, yeah, mine is too. I don't have any camera stuff on mine. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I post camera stuff, but it's everything 
95% of it is hunting related. So, Mm -hmm. uh, that's where the, that's like my passion stuff. We are trying to work on building up more content on the commercial side to be able to find somewhere to post, but we're terrible at branding ourselves. We brand (laughs) everybody else, not ourselves. That's hilarious, man. Yeah, that's exactly how I am. But they say like the, uh, the lawn guy will always have the worst yard. That's kind of mm-hmm. me. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. You brand everybody okay. else, not yourself. Yeah, not yourself. Yeah. That's why I haven't done it. I don't even, I think it was 2016 was the last time I made a video for my business. It's bad. It's really yeah. Bad. We've actually never made a reel. We, uh, we started doing a, a, a few videos on like instruct, like educational, how to, mm-hmm. we'll do like videos on how we like, we will take a photo that gets a lot of traction on us or a, a scene that we do that gets a lot of traction and we break down the lighting setup or, through the eyes of a DP and we'll break it down. Um, and so we're starting to post that, but outside of that, we don't really do anything. <laughs> yeah. I'll do like, uh, I'll do like live videos like on set or something, just talking about my setup. And that's mm-hmm. like the closest thing I do to like video marketing. I, right. do, I am a big believer. Like if someone was to send me their reel today, like I would, I would ignore it. I don't, I feel like reels don't really do a good job of demonstrating what you can do. And so my clients, like if I was to send them a reel, they'd be like, cool, but like, show me a real project. So that's why I don't do it. If that's what we do, if somebody wants to see proof of concept, we send them a project that we did that fits that, that mold. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you don't have one, you go like make a spec one or something, but right. Right. Yeah. Make one. Yeah. Well, dude, I feel like we could go on for hours, so I'll try to wrap it up so our listeners don't get too bored with us. But I appreciate you <laughs> hopping on and uh, taking the time to do this. And um, yeah, man, just thanks. Dude, thank you. It was a blast, man. Guys, for more information on Filming with Josh, you can go to the Rustic River Media website and click the Filming with Josh tab or go to Facebook and type in Filming with Josh and ask to join the group today. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. I'll talk to you guys later. Take care. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.